The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. There is a role for everyone to play, particularly in America, to bear witness to their faith in the marketplace. Our country doesn't have to fall apart if we who are salt and light help to hold it together. He's a missionary to the field of public policy in America. Dave Zanotti of the Public Square joins us now on First Person to talk about his calling. I'm Wayne Shepherd, looking forward to introducing our guest to you in a few moments. Thank you for joining us. This is a weekly conversation with someone who has committed their life to Jesus Christ and is making a difference in the kingdom as they follow God's call in their life. We have hundreds of profiles we have featured through the years, and you can browse through them and listen online at firstpersoninterview.com or download any that you'd like to carry around as a podcast through iTunes or by using our free smartphone app, First Person Interview. Look for it in your app store. It's available on both the Apple and Android platforms. My friend, Dr. David Zanotti, is president and CEO of the American Policy Roundtable, the producers of a radio program known as The Public Square, which I co-host with Dave and the team on many radio stations. Dave Zanotti is a dedicated Christ follower with a nonpartisan calling to serve in the field of public policy. And as we sat down to talk, I asked him about that. For me, the calling is really a person, and that's the person of Jesus the Christ of Nazareth. Uh, I was raised in a classic uh, high church tradition, but I didn't know Christ. Hmm. I saw Jesus hanging on a cross, but I didn't know why. And by the time I got to my teenage years, I was in a lot of trouble. I was with the wrong people. I was doing the wrong things. I was doing almost all the stuff I was told would send you to hell in a hurry. And I felt that and felt that angst and that and that sense of separation from my family, from God, from relationships, from the culture. And I was caught up in that whole realm of Woodstock. Hmm. And so I was being lured out of that traditional way of thinking into the radical way of thinking. And I ended up getting on a bus with a bunch of young people and going to Washington, D.C. Why'd you do that? Well, I had a Georgetown University jacket on. I was going to go hang out at Georgetown, and I wasn't even going to come back. It was an excuse for a trip to D.C. Well, it was a free ticket, too. Somebody gave me a free ticket to this youth conference, so I went. Well, what I didn't really know was it was a Youth for Christ conference. Oh, okay. Now, that's what they, they told me was campus life. You know, I didn't know what that was all about. I didn't really <laughs> care. All I knew was that you know, it was a free ticket out of town. I was in trouble, and it seemed. So I borrowed this Georgetown University jacket from a buddy of mine who had a brother who was there, and I was going to go get lost. And I'm running around all over town, getting in trouble, getting chased by security. The next thing you know, I get trapped in this uh, hotel room in the Washington Sheraton where the conference is. And there's all these young people sitting around talking about God and the Bible. They got these Bibles out there reading them. And I'm like, wow, this is a little weird, but I was kind of intrigued. And so I started listening and paying a little bit of attention. And they began to read to me John 316. I'd never heard that verse before. Is that right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I never heard that before. And they asked me if I wanted to give my life to Jesus. And I was like, no, thank you. So I got up and I left and I went back to my hotel room in the Washington Sheraton. And I sat there in the middle of the night, lights out. And I experienced 
a depth of moral guilt I had never really known. The spirit began, began to do his thing then. Think about yeah. all the people I had hurt, all the things I was doing wrong, all the relationships that were broken. I was lost. I mean, these people are talking about God and laughing and crying, and God to me was just the cosmic enemy. He and I were, 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 were estranged. There was no hope. And suddenly all that stuff just came on top of me. And then it was as if I had seen Jesus hanging on that cross. And as if I had heard a voice that said, this was for you. Hmm. And by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly I understood the atonement wasn't theory. It was my salvation. What Jesus did was for me. And all I knew how to pray was to say, I'm sorry. And it took a long time of saying, I'm sorry, because I had a lot of things to be sorry about. And I've never recovered from that moment of experiencing Jesus. So the calling is him. Mm -hmm. But what's the outworking? Well, the outworking is a missional lifestyle to be where he is and to find out what he is doing. And then what does he want us to do? And that took a while for us to get to because I didn't know anything about being a Protestant. I can tell yeah, you that for we'll, sure. We'll talk about some of that part of the story. Uh, but I didn't know anything about going to church because it had been a long time since I'd been to church. And the one I was going to, I wasn't very happy about. And they weren't so very happy about me either. So I had to try to figure out what does all this mean? And the times were tough, brother. Half of my friends were freaks and the other half were Jesus freaks. Hmm. And so we were trying to figure all this out. So Christians came alongside and began to help help me understand the Bible. I read the New Testament the first week. The first week? The first week. I couldn't stop reading it. They gave me one of those reach out living yes. Bibles. Oh, I could see the cover in my mind. And, yeah. And, and I read, I, and I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. I was saying to my friends, do you know what's in here? This is amazing. <laughs> Look at what this says. And I just, I just wanted to keep going and going and going. So I ended up stumbling around to different churches and had wonderful help from dear people who came along and just took me as I was. Ended up going to Bible college. Uh, because you know, I graduated out of high school and went to Bible college, and I, I did. You were a pretty unlikely candidate for Bible college, I have to say. I know, you know, I, we know each other, brother. <laughs> You've told you, me the story. You should have seen me back then. I, I went to this Protestant evangelical Bible college and told them I was a Roman Catholic just because I didn't want any easy answers. And then I spent the next number of years in the dark, uh, a, a radiator heat fourth story full library corners of the building with the big thick books because I didn't want easy answers. I wanted to know, was there a Moses? People said there was no Moses. There was no writing at the time of Moses. He didn't write the Old Testament. The Bible wasn't reliable. I mean, I, I think I took everything that Josh McDowell had and tried to memorize it. I tried, every one of the tough questions, are the answers real? Because I knew what I had experienced, but I wanted to know all the pieces and parts. Not that I could master it in my own mind, but I wanted to be certain. I wanted to know what I knew. I wanted to be a student of this book. And what I found was the Bible is real. The Bible is genuine. The Bible is true because there is a word of God and he was made flesh and he did dwell among us. There is a God. We are not him. And he actually visited this earth in the person of Jesus, the Lamb of God and the Word of God. So that had to be settled in your life. It that, was. that had to be settled. Yeah. And then what was the next step for you? Well, for us, we thought, you know, what do you do now? Everybody said, well, you'd be a pastor, you'd be a speaker. I mean, I tried all that stuff, uh, you know, I, and, and traveled on the road with a gospel singing group. They did the singing, I did the preaching, you know, had a great Billy Graham impression. Well, you were already down. changed, weren't oh, you? Bless. And I, I, I had the best Billy Graham down. They used to make me do it on the back of the bus for the group. <laughs> they laughed right? all night. Oh, I had it down, had it all down, and, and was trying 
trying to figure out where do we fit, but we didn't seem to fit anywhere. And we kept trying. And then one day a friend of mine said, let's go meet this guy at this conference in Indianapolis. I said, well, who's the guy? I said, Francis Schaefer. I said, well, who's that? And he said, you just got to meet this guy. So we jumped, my wife and I jumped in the back of this kid's Chevy Vega. We drove to Indianapolis and we went to the very first conference that Francis Schaefer held on How Shall We Then Live? The very first conference, the very first film showing. We were at the premiere. He had us at hello. It was life-changing for you. What happened was he gave us what we had been preparing for, a missional mindset on how to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to contemporary culture and the marketplace that you didn't have to do it just through a pulpit or just through a radio program, but that you could actually move into the marketplace that Jesus provided real answers for real questions. And that's what we were looking for. So we began to hone the mission in the direction of public policy. And that was a radical way of thinking in those days. I mean, that message had been lost for generations, really. And Schaefer brought it back, didn't well, he? He really spoke to the problem of of the pietism or the two-story world where we had sort of segmented Jesus off to the religious scope, but we weren't recognizing that Jesus who said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, that that all authority included all, that Jesus provided real answers for politics and art and film and economy and academics and every arena of life, including public policy. And that's where we saw the greatest need. The greatest need being that people had forgotten where they had come from as a nation, that Christ played an intimate and vital role, providence in the founding of our country, and that we were going in the wrong direction. In fact, our liberty was at risk because we were forgetting the source of our liberty. Yeah. Let me just pause for a moment because I recently picked up a Christian manifesto that Schaefer wrote, and I was so struck by how how uh, current that message is and needs to be heard right it's now. It's still on my nightstand and I read it constantly. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Chesterton with orthodoxy, C.S. Lewis in everything that he wrote, including that hideous strength, and Francis Schaeffer, Christian yes. Manifesto. Right. The, the God, these men have spoken yeah. deeply into our hearts. So that exposure to Francis Schaeffer and, and his message, that, that really was a pivot point for your life. Uh, it really was because he said, look, there is a mission here. God wants us, and he connected the dots as well because we could see the country was going to you know where in a handbasket yeah. we knew we were in real trouble and we we cared about our country we cared about the direction of culture and what was happening to young people i mean we were coming out of the jesus movement and like i said half of our friends were freaks half were jesus freaks we were wrestling with what is the truth and how does it apply to this part of our lives into this century and schaefer was saying jesus does apply hmm. now how do you do that right that was the challenge. Right. So what was the next step for you? Well, I went back into business because we couldn't find a way of actually flushing this out. Yeah, it really didn't fit in any existing organization at that time. No, no it? church wanted us. I mean, right. I could teach Sunday school. I figured the best I was going to do is be a businessman and, and, and give money to missions and charities and to teach Sunday school and try to teach this concept of worldview Christianity in a Sunday school. And that's what we were doing. And the next thing we know, we ran into this organization, a fledgling group called the American Policy Roundtable. Which had how many donors at that time? Well, they told me it was 33. <laughs> and I started, I became maybe the 34th. I started giving because that's what you do, right? You give charities money. And then I brought some friends in and a few more people gave some money. But in reality, it was about 13 of us. <laughs> And uh, so we were just getting this thing off the ground, and I was trying to help as a volunteer. You know, I got on their phone-a-thons, and I you know, did their walk-a-thons, and I'm doing all this <laughs> stuff, going to their meetings, because I they, we had a sim similar vision. And then one day they asked me out to lunch and said, well, how about coming to work for us? To which I promptly said, no, thank you. 
I mean, you know, I just wasn't, you know, it just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And they said, well, would you pray about it? And 90 days later, I was resigning my position and, and, and going to work full time for the, for the roundtable. There's more to Dave Zanotti's story, and we'll find out about it coming up in just a moment here on First Person. I'm so grateful for the grace I received while listening to FBBC all day long. I cried listening to God's message multiple times. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional from FEBC, telling more listener stories, while at the same time it encourages you from God's Word. Receive this online devotional without obligation when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is my very good friend, Dave Zanotti. Dave and I host a radio program called The Public Square together and have done it for a number of years now, but I, I really want my first-person listeners to get to know you, Dave, so thanks for this opportunity. The Public Square has been around since 1989. You and I have had the privilege of working together on it every day since 2007 right. when you graciously accepted that call, for which I will forever thank God. <laughs> well, it's enriched my life. It really has. Uh, when we uh, broke off a moment ago, you were talking about the American Policy Roundtable, and you had been kind of coerced through prayer to come join the organization, and that really has set the sail for your life, hasn't it? Well, it took two years for us to try to explain to people what we were trying to do, and then one day a pastor said, well, this is simple. You guys are missionaries to America. Now, that is a foreign way of thinking about, no pun intended, of a missionary, right? Well, but he was right, because what's happened is people are constantly talking about America being in a post-Christian era. I don't necessarily buy that language, but I will tell you that we are living in a truthless culture, Hmm. and Jesus is the truth. And so the concept of bringing Christ back into a truthless culture, a culture that has lived for more than 100 years in a godless equation, means that we may be the biggest mission field of all. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we're bringing the reality of the totality of the Great Commission of Christ back to this nation. And that's what we're called to do. And I don't think a lot of people would argue with that. But when you talk about doing that in public policy, that's when people begin to raise eyebrows a little bit. Well, that comes from the fact that, as Dr. Schaefer spoke about, we've divided the world into two stories, an upper story and a lower story. Or, in essence, we've got a secular culture, which is the lower story, and a religious culture, which is the upper story. But see, when Jesus stood before his followers, resurrected, and said, all authority, both secular and religious, has been given unto me. All authority in heaven and on earth. That means everything that's up there and everything that's down here revolves around him. The Bible tells us that he holds all things together by his powerful word. The reason that our country's falling apart is because we're not asking Jesus to hold it together. Some people will hear that and they'll hear you attacking church versus state arguments and that sort of thing. Well, how, do you, how do you answer that? Well, we answer that every day on the public square. And it takes a a rather long conversation, but to say this, that the concept of the separation of church and state was never intended by anyone, including Jefferson himself, to presume for a moment that America would work as a form of civil governance without the attending care of Almighty God and Providence. Mm -hmm. That's what the founders wrote about. They were never intending to separate God from the equation. They were attempting to say there are two separate institutions, the institutions of faith, which we call the church, and the institution of civil government. They are separate 
and distinct, but they are not at all mutually exclusive. They both should work in harmony toward the same goal of justice and righteousness on earth. We decided to take that extension to a hyper level and then create in our mind the idea that Jefferson was trying to tell us that never the twain shall meet. Hmm. Well, that's just not in the historical record or practice. All right. So how do you choose what to, what to tackle, what what public policy issues to tackle? You've done some really significant things through the years. Well, we hope so. And, and we hope so because we're trying to hear what is the mind of the Lord. Now, that's difficult. We don't always get it right. Uh, it's not just what's the hottest issue or what's going to get you the most press or what's going to get you the most direct mail responses. We don't do that kind of stuff. The question is, Lord, where are you? Where are you working? You know, we take the black philosophy, find out where yeah. God is working and join him and join him. We're not trying to invent any What we're trying to do is to follow as he leads. And so that takes us into the quest of searching for the heart of God for the sake of our country. And where is the Lord working? And then how do we get behind that? And then we also look at where is the most urgent battlefield of the moment? And and that's a difficult call. We can't do it all. He he contains it all. It, it, it all is his fight. So we try to set our priorities based on, Lord, where can we best make an impact according to your vision? Where are you working and how do you want to increase our capacity to come alongside? And in American politics, we have the idea that it's, it's uh, Republican and Democrat. You, you reject that. Well, that's heretical to the American founding because George Washington said that would, it was actually our, that mindset was our greatest enemy in his farewell address. He said that our greatest enemy would be that kind of factional thinking. Partisanship. That partisanship and party spirit would say that the country is to be divided between two competing forces. That is anathema to uh, the core of American doctrine, which says all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and that we are a government of we the people, a government of the consent of the governed, high biblical principles, important ones that have been fought for and fought over for generations. And by and large, the American equation balanced it correctly. But it didn't balance it based on party. Party is the unbalancing, the unstable. So we are independents, fiercely independents, because we believe that people of faith should be free agents the way that John Adams was, the way that George Washington was. These were free agents, people who spoke moral agency and truth into the arena of public policy. Which means, though, that you get uh, fire from both sides. Well, sure. They, they were an equal opportunity offender. offender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They dislike us equally because we threaten their power base. But their power base is based upon getting people to abdicate their responsibility of citizenship and give it at the office. Give it to the party. Well, the parties have agendas. Yeah. You're appealing to a higher truth. Of course. Truth with a capital T. Yes, and truth and to justice. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bear witness to the truth, the way, the life. How does the average American citizen find their way through this maze of partisanship these days? Well, that's where we create tools to try to help them, because philosophically, there are most people are not aligned with either political party at any level of affinity whatsoever. Most people are participating as independents. We try to bring tools to them so that they can understand, A, our shared history, so the Declaration, the Constitution, B, the current times. How can we interpret what we're going through right now in light of those principles of the Declaration and Constitution, and then C, our responsibility? The first one is to pray for our country. And then the second one is to promote solid leadership for our country, and that means voting. And so we create tools like the Public Square Radio program that they can listen to every day to learn more about how historically and biblically we can 
get to connected with these principles mm-hmm. and then how to vote, not who to vote for. We never tell people who to vote for, but when the elections are happening, what races are really important? Uh, what races have candidates that stand in X, Y, and Z? In other words, get all the facts so that you can make your own decisions. And we do that through a group called iVoters.com, a website that was recently ranked as one of the top five websites in the country for voter information. So we try to give people the tools that they need to make an impact. You describe it so effortlessly, Dave, but it's a lot of hard work. And and frankly, without a lot of support out there. Really? I mean, am I mischaracterizing <laughs> well, it's it? It's a small group of missionaries walking in the wilderness. We've got a staff of about 12 people, and we've been at it since 1980. Uh, but the Lord is gracious because he does his work in the wilderness. And so we're like little kids giving our lunch every day to the one who makes loaves and fishes to feed the multitudes. We don't expect everybody to rally to the cause, everybody to support us financially. But what we pray is that everyone will begin to pray for their country. We accept that this is going to be a hard message, but we encourage people to do the same thing we have done. You know, Wayne, you started helping us out as a donor and a volunteer. And then you said, well, how could I help you more? That's how I started as a donor and a volunteer. We started in at the shallow end of the pool, and then we let the Lord take us where we go. But here's the thing. There is a role for everyone to play, particularly in America, to bear witness to their faith in the marketplace. Our country doesn't have to fall apart if we who are salt and light help to hold it together. Take me back to that decision you made to follow Christ and all that's happened since, you must be incredibly grateful for how the Lord has led in your life, Dave. I wish I was more grateful. I wish that I didn't forget as often (laughs) and get discouraged because sometimes you look at how bad things are and you just go, what's the use? I fall prey to that disappointment and that discouragement, just like St. Paul did in, in, in 2 Corinthians. How many times does he said, therefore, we don't lose heart, therefore, we don't lose courage, but he was depressed. And he was despairing, and we all feel that way. So, yes, I wish I was more grateful, Wayne, but this much I can tell you with certainty. By the grace of God, I have never forgotten that moment when he said this was for you and that this, at the end of the day, is all about Jesus. We constantly say around our shop, one second after we're gone, there's only one relationship that's really going to matter, and that's him. Our first-person guest has been Dave Zanotti of the American Policy Roundtable and the Public Square. To learn more about Dave and the nonpartisan work of the Roundtable, please visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. And when you do, there are many resources you'll find available helping you apply biblical principles to life in the American Public Square. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. And let me take a moment to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these interviews possible. FEBC celebrates those who follow Jesus Christ and help build His kingdom. Broadcasting the gospel, FEBC is doing all it can to point people to the Lord in many hard-to-reach countries of the world, and we have the testimony of millions that it is making a difference. To hear and see many of these listener stories, sign up for the daily devotional, How Shall They Hear?, by going to firstpersoninterview.com and registering free of charge. Once again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. And look for us at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you back next time for First Person. First Person.